1: I really don't like that people are so obsessed with unicorns. It makes you make a lot of bad decisions. You don't need to be a unicorn. What you really want to be is you want to be a dragon. Dragons are tough, they are independent, they're tenacious. I always wanted to disrupt the gatekeepers of tech. The tech ecosystem does not provide the same opportunities for everyone. We believe that the best investment opportunities are in this untapped potential. This year, we're going to do close to 600 pre-seed investments. We have this massive network of 7,000 alumni, 7,000 mentors, 20,000 investors. You are five times more likely to get to uh, around six of fundraising if you went through Techstars than if you were on your own.
2: That's Mael Gavey, CEO of Techstars. Known for its accelerator programs, Techstars is also one of the world's largest pre-seed investors, with more than 3,000 companies having gone through its entrepreneurial boot camps. I'm Bob Safian, former editor of Fast Company, founder of the Flux Group, and host of Masters of Scale Rapid Response. I wanted to talk to Mael because as valuations for many startups come crashing down, she's criticized the goal of becoming a unicorn company. Instead, she says, businesses should strive to be dragons, resilient enough to withstand difficult times, and devotedly loyal to their mission and their customers. Myel has played a central role in growing diverse startups and scale-ups. Now with Techstars, she set her sights on remaking the impact of pre-seed investing globally. Miles' distinctive perch gives her uncommon insight into the current state of the innovation economy. And she shares key lessons on how to navigate our devilishly complex economic environment.
3: Join me and over 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly to work faster, hit their goals, and keep their data secure. Visit Grammarly.com to learn more. That's Grammarly.com.
2: I'm Bob Safian, and I'm here with Mael Gavey, CEO of Techstars. Mael, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me, Bob. It's such a pleasure to be here with you today. I
2: reached out to you because you recently wrote on LinkedIn about the state of tech and unicorns, responding to some news about the unicorn minting is waning. And you had a comment about it being better to focus on dragons than on unicorns. I feel like we're in Game of Thrones land here a little bit, but tell me what, what you're thinking, why you wrote this, and where you feel like we are.
1: So just for the record, I'm actually a big fan of Game of Thrones, but that was not the reason why. <laughs> It all started a few weeks ago. We had our LP annual general meetings, and I was having a conversation with Brad Feld, one of the three co-founders of Techstars, about whether or not we should talk about the number of unicorns that Techstars has invested in and supported. By the way, it's 22. And that got me thinking, the number of unicorns that any investor makes is like one of these really key numbers that people focus on. And it's completely artificial because most of them are paper valuation. And as we've seen last year, this is a valuation that is not supported. And it also has negative consequences because as an entrepreneur, to get big fast, to grow at all cost, it makes you make a lot of bad decisions. I was talking to our entrepreneurs and telling them, don't be a one-trick pony. You don't need to be a unicorn. What you really want to be is you want to be a dragon. Dragons are tough. They're almost invincible. They're independent. They're tenacious. And they may not be as pretty as unicorns. But I think for an entrepreneur, that feels like a much better animal to try to emulate.
2: Now, in a business sense, being a unicorn basically just means you're valued by someone at a billion dollars or more, which is an achievement and I guess a marker that companies strive for. So what is the business characteristic of a dragon?
1: In the world of business, being a dragon means that you need to be able to resist any challenges, any economic downturn. They tend to have really good unit economics. They tend to be very loyal. Again, back to Game of Thrones. If you watched it, you know that the the dragons were extremely loyal. When you think about dragons in a business sense, uh, I see entrepreneurs who are very loyal to a problem, very loyal to a customer need. They go through battles to solve these problems.
2: At this point in the cycle, and for a lot of tech companies, certainly, the idea of becoming a unicorn, like the valuations got far ahead of themselves. When you're looking at companies you're going to bring into the tech stars fold, how do you differentiate between the hope, right, the potential and the hype?
1: To start with, we invest extremely early. So we invest at a time where it can literally be like two people and a dog and an idea that seems really exciting. The second thing is we make a lot of investments. This year, we're going to do close to 600 pre-seed investments. And because of that, we're highly diversified. Like we don't follow a specific trend. We don't really have the fear of missing out because we invest across all countries and all type of industries. And then the last thing is we also have a very different model because we provide a lot more than just capital. I'm an entrepreneur myself, and I remember being in so many rooms with venture capitalists promising me the moon, the stars, and everything in between, besides obviously the check that they were generously going to give us. And I can count on half a hand the number of venture capitalists who, after they invested in my company, actually provided support and really, really make a difference in my company. Techstars, not only we provide capital, but then we have programs. Think about it as three months intense entrepreneurship boot camp. And then after the three months, we have a lot of services for you, starting from helping you to fundraise to helping you hire new talents for your team, connecting you with potential corporate clients, et cetera, et cetera. We have this massive network of 7,000 alumni, 7,000 mentors, 20,000 investors who have made an investment in Texter's company. And so, because of all of that, we provide a very different investment strategy far, far, far away from all the hype that I can sometimes see in the media.
2: And the 600 pre seed investments that you're making this year, have all of those? businesses been through one of your accelerator
1: programs? They all have to go through the program. When we look at their trajectory, our program makes a huge difference. You are five times more likely to get to uh, around six of fundraising if you went through Techstars than if you were on your own.
2: So you joined Techstars in 2021. So less than two years ago, you came on board. What appealed to you about the opportunity
1: There were really three things that got me beyond excited about Techstars. The first one was I love working with entrepreneurs. We have now 3,300 and counting companies we have invested in. The second one is I'm a capitalist. I believe deeply that entrepreneurship is a force of good, a force of progress, and a key driver of value creation for humanity. And I like to make money. I like to make money for myself. I like to make money for the people around me. I like to see successful entrepreneurs who create generational wealth for themselves and for their family and for their employees. And then the last one, which was very, very personal, was this desire to disrupt the gatekeepers of tech. I've been working in tech now for well over 15 years, and it is very clear that the tech ecosystem does not provide the same opportunities for everyone. And I wanted to change that. And for the last three years, we had over 25% of the companies we invested in were led by women. When you look at successful Black and Latino founders in the U.S. of the last four years, Techstars has backed more of them than any other investor. We're not a DNI or ESG investor. We think of ourselves as a universal investor. We want our portfolio to represent the world as it is because we believe that the best investment opportunities are in this untapped potential.
2: Are there ways that Techstars is different today than it was when you got there?
1: When I joined, Techstars mostly focused on being a really great accelerator. Accelerators are great, but they are mean to an end. What we are first and foremost is we are the largest pre-seed investor in the world. And we need to own that. We need to grow that.
2: So you mentioned this Techstars is a very broad network, 3,300 and growing businesses. What are you hearing from these portfolio companies about the current economic climate right now?
1: I speak to our entrepreneurs every day. Most of them are first-time founders. It's not like they've done that for 10 years. So most of them have never seen a crisis, let alone seen a crisis while managing a business. And I am constantly amazed by the level of maturity, how they approach to cash preservation, to how this is a great opportunity for hiring because suddenly they are going to get access to talent that beforehand were completely fooled out of the market by the Facebook, Google of this world. It is very clear right now that B2B businesses seem to feel the pain a lot more than B2C businesses. A lot of big corporations have already started taking measures to reduce cost in Q2 of this year. I would expect that in the B2C market it's going to come. And then the other thing, I see more and more entrepreneurs Tackling bigger problem than ever because of the economic downturns. They're like, humanity is facing massive problems and I am going to solve it, which I find fascinating because when I started in tech 15 years ago, it felt like it was a lot about, I want to make my life easier. And now it's like, I want to solve a problem which is going to change the entire world. You see that a lot in food tech and agrotech. You see that a lot in health tech to climate change and sustainability in Africa and the Middle East. And so there's pockets of incredible innovation and drive that gives me a lot of hope, even though I expect that 2023 and probably 2024 are going to be very difficult.
2: Do you see your entrepreneurs sort of struggling with like how much to pull back versus how much to lean in? I mean, we had the news of, Meta laying off 11,000 people, and it makes you think, well, how much you need to sort of right-size your business or keep your powder dry? Are those conversations that they bring to you?
1: Definitely. The conversation is usually around this trade-off. How much do you need to restrain hiring or even, unfortunately, doing some layoff? And at the same time, a lot of them are actually very excited by what's happening because they are going to be able to hire the talents that were not available. If you were a small startup a year ago and you were trying to hire a chief product officer or a chief technology officer or a strong head of digital marketing, it was so expensive that a lot of the startups we had invested in were saying to us, I don't think I can hire the right level of talent. For better and for worse, this is about to change. And it's a positive for the small startup because I think they're gonna finally be able to afford to recruit the people that they need to get to the next level.
2: Is there a framework that you suggest in sort of approaching this question about balancing the risk in this moment and the potential opportunity?
1: What we usually talk to them about is, one, you need to be obsessed about your cash burn and how much run rate you have. Because there is nothing you can do if you're about to run out of money. So you need to focus on that first. If you find yourself in a position where you think that you're going to be fine for another 18 months, 24 months, depending on the credit line that you have and the type of shareholders that you have, then it's the time to think, okay, is there opportunities for me to leverage the crisis? And we both know there are a lot of businesses out there who did fantastically well during a crisis because they were able to invest when their competitors were not. So we just go through that process. One, let's look at your cash burn run rate. If you are in an uncomfortable position, that's what you need to focus on. Two, if you are in a much better position, let's start thinking about what are the one or two areas which are going to make a huge difference in your business and then be very quick at iterating. What I've learned, having had to deal with this kind of crisis a few years ago, is that the key is to be very focused and very agile. You have to be constantly reevaluating your decisions because the environment keeps changing.
0: Hey, listeners, it's Jodine Dorsey, the VP of live events at Wait What, the company behind Masters of Scale. I am constantly tasked with reaching out to teams across a wide spectrum of professions and the vastly different personalities that go with them. Grammarly helps me quickly shift tones to better communicate what I want to say and saves me valuable time in the process. Our upcoming Masters of Scale summit event features top-tier speakers from CEOs to founders to political leaders. Grammarly's ability to produce on-brand writing helps me properly prepare for each and every thought leader I interact with on stage. It lets me generate the most exciting specialized content for our audience. In fact, teams that use Grammarly report 66% less time spent editing marketing content, which I've seen firsthand with my summit team. Join me and over 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly to work faster, hit their goals, and keep their data secure. Visit Grammarly.com to learn more. That's Grammarly.com.
2: Before the break, we heard Techstar CEO Mael Gaveh talk about the top priorities for businesses navigating economic crisis. Now, she shares what she learned from running a business inside Russia and the difference between being a wartime CEO and a peacetime CEO. She also shares lessons about the difference between innovating in a big company and a startup, the key questions she asks every prospective new founder, and why having friends and family to lean on is so important to business success. Your entrepreneurial background includes experience with a bunch of places that are hotspots right now, business and culture-wise. You first came on my radar when you were CEO of an e-commerce business in Russia, the Amazon of Russia. We used to call it. Do you have any insights on the, the business environment there or how the economic and political factors from the West and the war are impacting either way?
1: Through Techstars, we are exposed to the conflict because we have quite a few investments with Ukrainian entrepreneurs. Ukraine has a very strong technological background and a lot of really strong engineers. And unfortunately, I've heard a lot of heartbreaking story because there's so much talent and and so much innovation that has been put on hold because of this senseless war.
2: A lot has changed in eight years from the time that you you were in Moscow, right?
1: Totally. This is where I learned to deal with my first massive economic crisis. I was the Sea of Ozone. I was there in 2014 when Russia uh, annexed Crimea. And I remember very distinctively at the time, we went from 30 rubles to the dollar to 100 rubles to the dollar. And as an e-commerce, you would pay everything in dollars because a lot of the product that we would sell would be imported. And yet we would sell them to the Russian population in rubles. And so like dealing with a massive currency devaluation, obviously the sanctions that happened at the time that put a lot of pressure on any import activities were a very, very good school for me in terms of learning to deal with major economic situations. And I see a lot of parallels with the current situation, which is, if not every day, every week, there is something happening. The Fed is increasing the rates. There is more layoff. There is the midterms election in the U.S. And so you you keep adding level of complexities and, and you keep changing the environment that as an entrepreneur, you have to deal with on a daily basis.
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the often lessons for entrepreneurs and business people is to focus on what you can control And yet when the macro environment keeps moving around so much, more of your business becomes out of your control.
1: Exactly. And I think that's the biggest lessons for entrepreneurs is you have to embrace the uncertainty. During economic crisis, like the one we're going through right now, the uncertainty becomes even bigger. And what is going to differentiate a successful entrepreneur from a less successful entrepreneur is the ability to deal with a heightened level of uncertainty.
2: When you left Russia, you then went and led global operations for Priceline. So you've been inside the travel and hospitality industry, which has had its own tumultuous period over the last two years. Then you worked in the real estate business as the chief operating officer at Compass, another sort of seesaw industry. Do you like Volatility is that? Are you drawn to that?
1: <laughs> I'm a fixer. What I do for a living is fixing and scaling companies. And so every single one of these businesses that you've just mentioned—that was that. When I joined Compass, we had five offices, 300 employees, and I guess about a thousand agents. And when I left, we had 350 offices probably even a little more than that, 15,000 agents and well over 2,000 employees. And that was like a little over two years.
2: And so if Techstars has 3,300 companies today, I should expect that it will be like 70x that a few years from now? I mean, is, <laughs> is is that same scale, passion or plan part of what you see for Techstars?
1: There are so many unstoppable and unbelievable founders everywhere. And to me, there is an opportunity to make a lot more investment. We've been talking about making several thousand investments a year. This year, we are going to make close to 600 investments. And I'm very, very much hoping that we'll be doing a lot more than that in the next five to 10 years. Yes.
2: I had a guest on the show recently who was arguing that women leaders have a different style, a different approach that make them better leaders for the environment that we're in now than traditional male leadership. Do you see advantages in certain approaches?
1: When I was running Ozone in Russia and a person asked me, what does it feel to be a female leader? And I looked at her and asked her, what do you mean? And she said, but I assume that as a, as a woman, leading a company is different. And I remember not knowing what to say because I had never thought about it. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know. I have a company. I go to work every day and I, I try to do the best I can. And I came to the conclusion that I didn't know what it meant to be a female leader. I only knew what it meant to be a leader. Every man and every woman was different in the way they lead. There are definitely men and women who are much better during crisis time than others. I mean, we talk regularly about war CEO versus peace CEO. These are usually two very different type of people. I'm just not sure that gender has much to do with that.
2: What makes for a good war CEO versus a good peace CEO? And I'm assuming you're sort of feeling like we're in a time of war now.
1: We are definitely in a wartime right now. A war CEO is someone who is very comfortable with uncertainty, back to what we were discussing earlier. Someone who is capable to switch very quickly between defensive and offensive all the time. Because sometimes you need to preserve cash and sometimes you need to invest. So war CEOs tend to be people who are more likely to take risk, but are capable of making decision, big decision with partial information. So that makes them very different than CEOs who are more there to maintain a status quo, making sure that. All the right things are in place. Foundations are very robust. The business is humming. We need both. The world needs both type of CEO. What is important is that you match the profile of the CEO with what the business is facing at the moment.
2: We talk about founders a lot on Master of Scale But we also talk about entrepreneurial thinking at scaled organizations, about accelerating growth in already established businesses. You've worked on both ends of that. Is one of them harder than the other? Startup versus accelerating a scaled
1: business? I've done both and I liked both. I have very consciously decided to not be an entrepreneur for the fourth time because it is gruesome to go through the zero to one. And I love working with the entrepreneurs we support, but it feels good to be advising them and mentoring them, being in the trenches with them, but not being the one doing the zero to one.
2: I remember having this conversation with Daniel Eck at Spotify, asking him about like what the hardest stage has been. And he said, it's always the next stage. You know, the next stage is the hardest stage, which makes it sound like the early stage is easier. Almost like that founders are like over-dramatizing how hard it is. But when I listen to you, it sure doesn't sound like it. You sound like going back to that zero to one feels pretty painful to try to jump into.
1: The blessing and the curse of of an entrepreneur is that Every day is different. Every day brings a new high, but also a new low very often. And it can happen within an hour. You don't have the infrastructure, the support, if you are suddenly a $100 billion public company. Now, some entrepreneurs will tell you, every day is new and every day is my day. I decide what I want to do with my day. And other people will tell you that they prefer to have a slightly more structured environment with a lot more infrastructure and platform around them. I think it really depends on your personality and what you're good at.
2: And I guess being a founder is not necessarily for everyone. And for some people, being inside a bigger organization is just confining.
1: The first thing I push back on with the young entrepreneurs is the idea that you are going to be Successful almost overnight. And one of the key questions I asked them are you ready to spend the next 10 years of your life going through a roller coaster of emotions because you believe so much in that problem? And if the entrepreneur says to me, 10 years, no, I think I can do it in five, I usually tell them that they are probably in the wrong job because it will take them about 10 years. And that's all. If they're successful, less than 1% of startups which get funded at the pre-seed level will actually be successful. But then I also push back on people who say, oh, you cannot be innovative. You can't be an entrepreneur if you work in a big company. There are absolutely large companies where it is totally impossible because you have to follow the rules and all the approval processes but there are absolutely companies where you can come up with a new idea, run it, own the PL, go to the board and get the next stage of funding.
2: Yeah, I sometimes think about businesses that they're like families, you know, and every family is different. And sure, we might apply some broad things that say, oh, they're like this or they're like that. But when you get inside them, every one of these businesses is different and you have to find one that fits you your needs and, you know, and what your goals are.
1: When you build a team, when you want to be part of a team, you need to think about, is that the right sport for me? But also, do I fit well in this team? Do my skills complement everyone else in the team? And, and good coaches, the same way good CEO do, good coaches are actually very mindful about the team dynamic and how it plays with each other. And I think about it in the exact same way when I mentor entrepreneurs. I'm like, look at the business you're joining. First of all, is that a sport you wanna play? Okay, is that an industry you wanna be in? And then second, look at the team you're joining. Is that the team that you wanna be part of? Because it's going to be a lot of training, a lot of time spent together, some victories, but also some failures. Are these the people that you want to spend time with? And are you going to help them be better? And are they going to help you be better?
2: Do you have advice for entrepreneurs who are in the trenches right now about how they keep themselves stable, focused, agile enough, but not distracted?
1: I usually tell or entrepreneurs, one Be very, very clear on your priorities. And you can't have more than two or three. Like You need to be waking up every morning thinking, this is what I'm trying to achieve. And anything that does not help you achieve this goal, you need to be ruthless and say no to them. Learning to say no is really, really important. And then I tell them, no one succeeds alone, ever. You need to have people who are ready to be with you in the trenches, whether it is your team, your investors, your board. And then the last thing, never, ever, ever forget about their friends and family, because business is important. And if you're an entrepreneur, that can be an all-consuming endeavor. And the reality is this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. And the best way to win that marathon is to be surrounded by people who are here to help you from a business perspective, but who are also here to support you just as a human being.
2: Well, Myel, this that was great. And thank you for joining the Messer Scale family here and helping keep us grounded and for spending your time with us. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
4: Join me and over 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly to work faster, hit their goals, and keep their data secure. Visit Grammarly.com to learn more. That's Grammarly.com.
2: Masters of Scale Rapid Response is a Wait What original. It's hosted by me, Bob Safian, Masters of Scale's editor-at-large. Masters of Scale host is Reid Hoffman. Our executive producers are June Cohen, Darren Triff, and Jordan McLeod. Our head of content and production is Lori Hoffman. Our producer is Marie McCoy Thompson. Scripts by Alex Morris and Tucker Ligurski. Our music director is Ryan Holiday. Original music and sound design by Eduardo Rivera. Audio editing by Keith J. Nelson, Stephen Davies, Andrew Nault, and Mike Gallagher. Mixing and mastering by Aaron Bastinelli. Special thanks to Adam Skuse, Catherine Clark-Gray, Emily McManus, Adam Heiner, Colin Howarth, Tim Cronin, Kelsey Capitano, Sammy Aputa, Anna Pizzino, Sarah Tartar, Leah Medis, Charlie Meneses, Chinemya Zaquena, Aria Finger, and Saida Sapieva. Visit mastersofscale.com slash rapid response to find the transcript for this episode. And please subscribe to our email newsletter. Become a member of Masters of Scale to get access to a year's worth of courses and content on the Masters of Scale courses app. Find out more at mastersofscale.com slash membership.